Welcome to Taxpayer Talk. I'm Isla Aitchison, Research Officer at the New Zealand Taxpayers Union. I'm joined by David Seymour, leader of the ACT Party. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for joining us, David. Today, we're going to focus on ACT's economic plan. The Taxpayers Union possibly hasn't given enough credit to ACT for these policies, many of which seem to share our own priorities of lower taxes and more growth. David, could you briefly talk us through what X alternative budget contains? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, back in May, we put together a fully costed alternative budget that took note of the situation that had dramatically shifted in the months leading up to May and acknowledged that we've taken on a huge amount of debt and that the economic conditions have deteriorated. So the amount of revenue that government can expect to collect in its taxes has reduced, um, and yet we still need to balance the budget. So uh, what it basically does is gives more moderate tax cuts than acted previously uh, promised. We can no longer um, sustain a flat rate of tax of 175 which is ACT's preference. Uh, instead, uh, we find ourselves campaigning to reduce GST temporarily for one year through the period um, of, uh, well, basically from as soon as we can get into office and implement it uh, for a year from there. Um, And that means that you're basically recirculating $6 billion, not so that politicians can get photo ops, but so that every transaction is 5% lighter and basically means that you get a lot more money circulating. Uh, Second of all, on income tax, a permanent tax cut to the middle income rate, so between $48,000 and $70,000. Uh, you pay 30 cents in the dollar right now. Uh, we would reduce that to the 17.5 cent rate, so you'd pay 17.5 cents on every dollar uh, from 14 grand up to 70. You are still planning on cutting taxes, though, even if you're not cutting them quite as much as you would have liked to, and yet you simultaneously say you want to repay debt. How can those two priorities be reconciled? So the way that it works is that, of course, the other side of the ledger is your spending. And in our view, much of the spending that we have in the the current budget that governments are bringing down uh, is really low-quality spending that's been used to buy off specific interest groups. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, One is the winter energy payment. Now, you know, humans have lived in New Zealand for a 1,000 years. There was not uh, a a widely documented problem of people freezing to death. Um, If it was really about winter energy, then surely it should have been higher in the South Island than the North, Um, and yet it isn't. So you have to conclude that it's really election bribe spending. And at the other end of the age spectrum, you've got a a half billion dollars a year uh, being spent on fees-free tertiary. Um, I would make the argument that if you're already subsidising three quarters of tertiary education um, as a taxpayer and then allowing students to borrow the remaining quarter on generous interest-free terms with unsecured loans, then I don't think it's really a good use of borrowed funds to subsidise the other quarter, bearing in mind that that policy has not increased the participation of kids from poorer households in tertiary education anyway. Um, Then you go through the benefit increases that were made during the lockdown. Absolutely outrageous. We would return benefit levels Uh, to the levels that prevailed under the first two years of the Labour government, because ultimately, you know, increasing benefits was not a COVID measure. Uh, It was political opportunism. 
people on benefits didn't have to do anything during the lockdown. While businesses were going to the wall, people were losing their jobs and households tightening their budgets. Um, all people on benefits had to do was keep staying home. Uh, so you know, we'd reverse that uh, labour change back to the benefit levels that they had. Then you've got Shane Jones Provincial Growth Fund, a, a favourite target of the taxpayer uh, union. And then you've got the billion dollars a year being borrowed to subsidise people's KiwiSaver. Now, I'm all for saving and investment, uh, but every dollar put into KiwiSaver subsidy is going to have to be paid back on the global debt market um, by taxpayers. So you start adding it up, you know, a billion here, a billion there, all of a sudden you're talking real money. Um, and X policy uh, would save about $7 billion per year and without, without reducing health or education expenditure at the core. Those policies are all about uh, how can we actually pay off debt faster and have a recovery led by the private sector. To play devil's advocate, though, those policies or those cuts rather will come at a cost quite significantly to some New Zealanders, particularly, for example, the winter energy payment. And it's all in the name, or at least in part in the name, of repaying debt. What is so important about repaying debt? I think anyone who looks at human history would tell you that getting into debt has never been a good idea and it's never ended well. So there's certainly people who will say, well, interest rates are low, it's a great time to borrow. Uh, I'm not so confident that that's going to continue. I think at some point um, the interest rate has to return to the amount of money that people want in return for giving you their capital. Uh, and that's not a quarter of a percent or zero because if I said to you, you know, give me $100 for the year, I'll pay you $0.25 cents interest, you'd probably say that off. Um, now, you know, when those interest rates do eventually return to something more realistic, uh, we're going to be looking at massive interest costs. You know, let's imagine it gets back to 5% by the end of the decade. You know, you're, you're, bo you're borrowing money where you're going to have $200 billion or $40,000 per citizen and $200,000 for a family of five. You know, if you're going to pay 2.5% interest, uh, you know, that's five grand on a family of five uh, just on interest. That's going to be a major component um, in, your, in your household budget. Uh, and that's just to pay the interest. You've also got to remember on principle, uh, if we get close to the realistic borrowing limits that the global debt markets are going to give the New Zealand government, uh, are we prepared to have another crisis, another earthquake, another virus? Who knows what could befall, you know, a frontier society of pioneers. So we've got to be prepared for other shocks uh, and we've got to be prepared for interest rates to rise. And those are the reasons why we should be looking to reduce debt. It does make sense, though, doesn't it, to share the economic hurt over a longer period to avoid a really acute crunch? Well, I think that's happening, and it happens under Act's approach as well. Um, all we're saying is that there's a lot of spending that we regard as very low quality. That is not about investment. It's really about transferring cash. It's been agreed to largely for political purposes rather than because there's a real case. Um, and our view is you've got to increase the quality of spending. There's also an intergenerational fairness element to it. So if you look at the people that are going to put a lot of the bill, um, you know, they're kids at intermediate who will have fewer government services or higher taxes than they might have as a result of current uh, decisions being made that they may not be very aware of. So I think it's really important that we actually get on top of this stuff early um, and that we are fair to future generations. 
In regard to your temporary cut to GST, let's say the you do implement this, but then the 12-month period comes to an end and we are still in recession or our growth is still very weak. Is it possible we're going to end up in a scenario where this temporary cut has actually made things worse because everyone's brought forward their purchases and now nobody's spending? Well, I guess when you talk about counter-cyclical fiscal policy, you know, you're talking about running deficits for a period and then tightening up again when things get better. Now, of course, you know, it's an imprecise science. That's why we're not usually Keynesians in the Act Party. But I do think that we've got to try and do something uh, to keep demand up so that the economy doesn't bottom out in a way that would be harmful to a lot of people. So, look, it's, you know, it is, regardless of where you are on a political spectrum, um, a trade-off, and X trade-off is just uh, to be tighter on fiscal and monetary policy uh, to avoid exactly what you're talking about. What are you trying to achieve with your permanent cut to income tax? Well, I think it's important, first of all, that it's a transfer of money, so people are going to have less expense in terms of their tax bill and it frees up money that they can use for other things such as reducing private debt which is also a problem in New Zealand but it also changes incentives so people in that 48 grand area you know the lower end of salaries for full-time work you know if they work harder if they do overtime whatever uh, they're going to find that they get to keep 82 and a half cents out of every dollar instead of 70 and that's got to be an incentive for people to do more work. Uh, it means that when employers come to pay wages, less of what they pay goes to government so they can get more work for a given amount of, of wage bill. And that's the kind of incentive that we need to put in place if we're going to have a faster recovery with less tax and less debt. Aren't we already in a situation, though, that people do want to work, it's just that there isn't the demand for products or services and accordingly the jobs aren't out there, the overtime isn't out there? Well, I guess all of these decisions are at the margin. So, yep, you're right, people want to work, there's not enough work. The difference that taxes make is that if they're higher, then their impact on discouraging people from working, saving and investing uh, is also higher. On the other hand, um, if those taxes are lower, um, then the incentive to work, save and invest is greater. So, yeah, I mean, you can say, you know, whatever level it's at, there's going to be a trade-off. But all we're saying is that a party vote for ACT is a vote in favour of lower taxes, uh, in favour of free enterprise, and opposed to greater government spending and opposed to more state control. Why did you pick that middle band, that middle bracket rather, to be where you significantly cut taxes? Why not right at the top if we're looking for incentives or right at the bottom if we're looking to have the greatest impact on the most people? Well, I think there's, you know, again, you know, you can play this game of why don't you go to the extreme and take every policy to its logical conclusion? And, you know, I'm pretty sympathetic to that world view, but I'm also interested in, you know, what is the best deal that could form a stable political equilibrium? I think if you went and said, look, we're going to cut the top tax rate, then you spy into that than if you cut a tax rate that affects almost every full-time worker. National is willing to cut quite a lot of taxes. Do you think their tax policy has made X tax policy 
a little bit less relevant. Is it something you're likely to succeed in a coalition negotiation on? Well, I, I see no reason why we wouldn't succeed. And, you know, it's part of a pattern that ACT often leads on policy. Um, and the Nats move into that space. That's one of our roles is to anchor the political spectrum to the right. If we weren't there, I hate to think what the Nats would be getting up to. And that's one reason you might vote for ACT is because you want to support uh, better policy. And we're often the ones that are instituting and implementing it. Uh, you know, you look at charter schools, you look at 90-day trials. I mean, oftentimes, you know, it's ACT that leads and the Nats that follow. Do you think ACT's influence has had a part to play in National's new tax policy? You know, I, I think it's quite radical for what we've seen from the National Party. Maybe you disagree, but do you think you had an influence there? Oh, I think there's no question that um, if it wasn't for ACT, National would take the right for granted more than it does already. Um, so, you know, one of the good reasons uh, that you might want to support ACT is to ensure that the voice of those of us who do want lower taxes, who do believe that wealth comes from private enterprise, who are opposed to state control, um, one of the reasons you might do that is precisely because you are in favour of, of those kinds of policies and you can't trust the National Party to be true to them. Certainly looking at the National Party's long-term history, um, they simply haven't been prepared uh, to advance free enterprise policies uh, for the most part, they're, they're happy to beat Labour politically and then uh, hunker down and maintain Labour's policies. So you think the policies and the rhetoric we're seeing coming out of the National Party now are not to be trusted going into the next term? Well, I wouldn't say you shouldn't trust them, but I do think you should study history um, and ask yourself, you know, how many times have you seen ambitious-sounding policy from the Nats um, and then seen largely Labour policy once they're in power. So, you know, you look at something like, for instance, taxes last time. I mean, Stephen Joyce boasted that the National Party made taxes more progressive than they were under Labour. You look at Resource Management Act reform. Every national leader says they want to reform the RMA. Most of them have actually made it worse ever since Jim Bolger introduced the thing in 1991. Uh, Act has always been in favour. Um, of pushing the envelope towards free enterprise to the property rights. And, and so it's certainly a safer bet to go with a party that truly believes in these things because uh, you know that that's going to pull the political spectrum in your direction. New Zealanders have recently heard quite a lot about top priorities and bottom lines. What are the ACT parties? Well, I think our, our top priorities, first of all, we've got to get Taiwan smart about the public health to COVID. I don't think we're doing well enough at that at the moment. You know, we look at how Taiwan deals with things. You know, they didn't have good luck like us. They were right next to the epicenter of the virus, and yet they went hard and early, and they went smart and early, genuinely, like they started in December. Uh, we didn't get serious until late March. Uh, they use much better data. They use much better contact tracing. Uh, they let the private sector have a much bigger role in battling the virus and responding to it. You know, those are the things that we need to be doing because fundamentally, unless we can get this virus situation under control, everything else is going to be really hard. The second, as we alluded to with our alternative budget, is we've got to get smarter um, at and more honest, frankly, about the debt that we are laying down on the next generation. Then you've got to ask, well, how do we seize the opportunity that comes with being an island nation on a pandemic planet? You know, we make it too hard for people to do foreign investment here. ACT would make it easier 
for people who are from democratic, friendly OECD countries to send their capital to New Zealand. I think it's critical uh, that we do that. Resource Management Act reform, we talked about that. Education reform, uh, we talked about that. Employment law reform, uh, you know, that small businesses are hankering after because it's so risky to employ someone. So, I'd like to you stop know, you there, David, on, on, your, on your employment reform. And we can go back to some of those other ones. That was my next question. But do you think it's a fair criticism that under your alternative budget, growth is going to come at a cost to the people that can't negotiate their own terms of employment? Well, first of all, who are those people? I mean, nobody is forced to take a job. If you want growth, then you need to be employed. Uh, now, the government can make restrictions on the terms of jobs that you can accept, but if the result is that you're not employed, then that's not really helping you. Uh, of course, under X policy, you can still negotiate better terms if there are people that want to give them to you. But what the government can't do uh, is guarantee or provide uh, better terms than are actually really available based on what you can produce in a job that you're given. That's just one of many regulations, Ed Cut. You started listing them off before I interrupted there, but what's the one you're most excited about? What are you looking forward to repealing or amending the most? Well, I'd use the word replacing when it comes to Resource Management Act replacement. You know, we actually need to start again because we have a set of employment laws that are, sorry, resource management legislation that is so restrictive. Every day people just say no because they can't be bothered getting permission. It will take longer to get consent than it would to actually do the work. And unless we're prepared to start again with resource management law, then I think we're in serious difficulty. People can't even use the property that they own in New Zealand uh, without paying very high costs of compliance. And as a result, uh, you know, many projects that could go ahead and employ people and be part of the growth don't. So Resource Management Act replacement is critical. What is it about the Resource Management Act that is so bad? Are there just a lot of hoops to jump through? I think it's the underlying philosophy of it of sustainability, which of course sounds wonderful. Who wouldn't want to be sustainable? But when you look at the way the Act's set up, it doesn't actually tell you new things that help you make any useful decision. Uh, what the Resource Management Act actually says is you have to provide for current generations without taking from future ones. And so, of course, because that is you know, information-free zone, uh, you end up finding that actually people aren't prepared to give you a straight answer about what it means. You have to pay a whole lot of consultants to work out things like what are the intrinsic values of ecosystems. Well, that is logically impossible to know. As a result, you end up with a whole lot of people who actually you know, just, just say no to doing things. Uh, and if you can't use and develop your property freely, it's very difficult to get a return on capital, create jobs, become wealthier, and have a more interesting lives ultimately. There are some areas where you'd increase spending. What are X priorities? Oh, look, as we've said, the, the number one thing the government needs to do is get the public health response right so we can maintain elimination without having to resort to costly lockdowns and so that we can actually safely reconnect with the world with things like private MIQs, because uh, we cannot just afford um, to isolate ourselves from the world and then end up having dangerous lockdowns when there is a, uh, an outbreak and then borrow money to try and paper over the cracks. That's not a sustainable strategy. Um, so under our alternative budget, we would increase expenditure um, on public health, uh, and that's also at the border.
Before we finish, is there anything I've missed? What would you like voters to know about ACT's economic position before October 17th? Uh, look, the ACT Party has played a consistent and constructive role throughout this crisis. You know, we haven't said it's all easy and the government are a bunch of idiots. Um, but what we have done consistently is we have provided constructive criticism where necessary and helpful suggestions where possible. And one of the results of us doing that is that we have been able to, at times, actually lead the idea that things should be allowed to be done if they're safe, not if they're essential. Uh, that came from ACT and was adopted by the government and its budget. Now, we believe we need to do much better at public health, much more honesty about the debt. We need to really seize the opportunity of dealing with uh, the regulatory environment that stops people want to work, save and invest in New Zealand, especially from overseas. If we do all of that, we can come out of this really well. But at the moment, only a party vote for ACT is a vote to take that proactive and honest approach to our current situation. And that's why we'll be asking people to support us as voting commences uh, very soon and, and over a two-week period up to the 17th of October. David, thank you very much for joining us. No worries. No worries.